Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. I would try hard to head that thing off at the pass. Whoa, 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 whoa. Like what? Help me understand. What are you trying to do with this information? How can I help you get what you actually want? Because I don't think it's a list of tasks you haven't heard of that the junior person is working on over there. There's a game of distrust already happening here, or at least dissatisfaction. And, and dissatisfaction could be, why is this thing else coming out faster? Like, I thought this was supposed to be done, or this thing didn't come out good, or my favorite person isn't working on this thing. The supposition in this said person's head is that something's wrong with the work assignment pattern, slash, it's the wrong matching of people to work, or they're, they're doing some stuff that's wasting time. Use the act of sharing it and their critique on the specific things to try to suss out what they're discontent Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast, brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. If you've ever been frustrated trying to communicate about how engineering functions, process decisions, the speed of engineering work, or hiring velocity, you're in the right place. In this episode, we discuss how to translate engineering to the CEO with Andrew Lau, CEO at Jellyfish, and Eli Daniel, head of engineering at Jellyfish. This episode is special because we deconstruct a few common questions that CEOs might ask, what they might actually mean by those questions, and what you can do to better speak the language of business and get ahead of those questions. We also get into some of the main areas of tension and disconnect between CEOs and engineering, how to navigate mistrust and create clarity, and how engineering leaders can stay in tune with the business's most important priorities. Before Jellyfish, Andrew was VP of Engineering and founding technology team member of Endika Technologies, which is an enterprise search software company that was acquired by Oracle Technologies for over $1 billion. He also has experience at companies such as Microsoft and IBM. And Eli Daniel is Jellyfish's head of engineering. Before Jellyfish, he served as CTO at Wevo Conversion, CTO and head of engineering at Bridge, director of engineering at Spotify, and senior engineering manager at Oracle. This conversation was a ton of fun, and Andrew and Eli bring lots of empathy and lived experience to this conversation. Andrew's been on both sides, and Eli lives this literally every day as the bridge between engineering and Andrew. If you've ever felt confused by questions coming from the business, unsure how to respond, or have been left trying to figure out why your answer just didn't land, you're going to like this episode. Enjoy our conversation with Andrew Lau and Eli Daniel. Just to kick this thing off, we're live. So Andrew, Eli, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, right on. Yeah, thanks, Patrick. Here we go. So I wanted to set up some quick context just to orient people to how this conversation is going to go and a little bit about what we have in store. So our purpose, we're going to talk about how to translate engineering for the CEO and talk about a couple of things like how to address or get ahead of some of the underlying concerns of maybe some of the other key stakeholders as well. So what we have planned is going to look like this. We're going to bring up a common question that CEOs ask. 
We'll debrief what they really mean or maybe the underlying belief or concern behind that question. And then we'll talk a little bit about like the approach to address it uh, in the moment or proactively. And then I think the special part with both of your unique points of view is we'll be able to share some examples and stories from your own relationships, experiences, and, and observations that you've seen work at different companies. So that's what we have set up for this conversation. But I wanted to start with a little bit of context just to give some people a sense of the challenge here in translating the CEO. So first, specifically with your experience, like in your one-on-ones, what's important to you both when you're talking with each other? Where do you find there's tension between the CEO and head of engineering when you're talking to each other about priorities? Like, I guess, Andrew, where's your main focus of anxiety? Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, I actually say this to you all the time. I, I think I'm probably the biggest pain in the butt to work for in this role or in exchange, I, like at least I'll be empathetic about it, right? Like in the sense that I do have all the isms of things that I think are important to the business that I might be critiqueful about and really want information about. And then furthermore, like I, I know the things that Eli's been through and I can probably intuit all the things that are actually happening down there, which I might not be ecstatic about either, right? Like that, like I can see some things happen, which actually makes me in some ways, a more dangerous CEO because I can potentially see through some of these things. In exchange, though, like I'm also a bit more empathetic because I have been chased down the hallway before. I have been barked at in these things, and I try really hard not to do those things. doesn't mean I'm effective doing that, but I try really hard to not do those things. And so I, I try to caveat it, being like, look, here's my actual business concern. I traditionally might have said this thing, but I'm trying hard to say it this way. But anyway, you slice it, I need this from you. And we can talk about the different ways to do it, but I need this, right? Or, or I'm watching this happen. I'm at least highlighting it and I'm separating it from my priority versus the thing that I think you should, my instinct on that part. I'm trying to be more empathetic about it, but I, unclear if successful, but like that's, that's the balance I try to attack on this thing. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'll just say, I've told you this before too, but I'm not just saying that qualitatively having worked for other CEOs who are not engineering minded themselves, there is much more of the just speaking a wholly different language or having assumptions coming from Mars about how something should be that adds like a, just a level of stress and difficulty on top of everything. So I will say, Andrew, like our one-on-ones, I, I think are the most just, it's not that there's never stuff to work through. There are sometimes definitely, but, but generally when there is, we can just have a direct conversation about what the thing is and what we're trying to do and the, the fact that you are playing CEO translator to yourself on those things, I think actually does make a tremendously big difference. The, the mental narrative in that moment, uh, like the, the internal argument in your head, Andrew, might be really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'll add one more, though, too, that I'm actually cautious of, which is this is about my role itself. I want to make sure that I'm not overly empathetic in, in, in some ways, too, in the setting where I'm not actually honoring the business needs. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that, that's the thing that I actually often think through too, which is, am I, the word soft is the wrong one, but am I not, am I being overly empathetic on that part of it? Right. Which is, there's layers of this, right. There's the human aspect. There's how we interact. There's also like the role in the business and all of those things. And I try to step back and anyways, I go through all those tumbling conflicts here, Patrick is, is the, is the punchline yeah. here, right. Those are all, I'm sorting through my, my head on those things. So Andrew, in your perspective, you're focused on the business concern and communicating the business priorities. And so Eli, in, in that conversation, then your main areas of focus that you're trying to communicate, like when you're thinking about engineering or communicating to the CEO, what are kind of the, the core things that you have must communicate? 
Well, I mean, the specifics, of course, are different depending on what's going on in the in the circumstances. Generally, you know, in the mode of growth that we're in, this is all about how are we building how are we building the machine here that's going to get us the places that we need to go. And it tends to be less about the day to day. I would say there's very little of our one on one about what's going on with that one project or how are we going to get that one thing done or something. I mean, maybe sometimes those things come up. I mean, I would say that if, if I was hot on something, I would chase you on that. <laughs> like it's. Uh... I don't think I'd wait for the one-on-one for that if I was actually... Right, that's what I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> so so the, the one-on-one itself is usually a more systematic, what is the process doing? How's the machine working? What are the places where it's not working well enough to get us where we need to go? And so some of that is just checking in on progress on how it's going on those things. Some of it is a good chance to share insight. Andrew obviously has a different perspective with different things that he sees from his seat than what I do, um, and vice versa. And so... I think it's a pretty good get input in both directions. I get to hear strategy stuff and figure out a plan for how we're making it all work. Helpful context to sort of set the stage for for the conversation that we're about to jump into. The final question before we start jumping into the common questions from CEOs and how to translate those. From both of your perspectives, like why is there an issue here? Like why is there either like a miscommunication or why is this not working when it comes to CEO a CEO coming to ask a question from the head of engineering? Where's the conflict here? Why is this an issue? So I, I was going to say, I think a big piece of it is that engineering is hard. It's complicated. There's a lot of moving parts, but it doesn't seem like it should be hard from the outside. So for somebody who doesn't know, there's it's very easy to fall into the mode of like, well, why don't you just do the simple thing? Or all I want is the simple result. Why aren't we there yet? And I think without without empathy and understanding for how that machine works, that's like the CEO view, I would say, is all you want to know is like, how the heck are we getting to, why aren't we at the place where we're having lunch yet? And from an engineering leader standpoint, I'm like telling you about what's going on in the spark plugs and the carburetor of the car that's <laughs> stopping the engine from doing the thing. And it's just two different tenors of conversation. Your mechanic who's like building the guts of the car for you is not necessarily well equipped to have the conversation about where are we stopping for lunch and why aren't we there yet? I mean, I'll, I'll agree and build on it. I mean, I, I think at the root of it, neither party understands each other's stuff, right? So traditionally, I think, I'll just say CEOs and the business, as Eli's illustrated, is ill-equipped to understand because they didn't come up and they don't think of the complexities of this stuff around like why or how this works. And then reciprocally, I think a lot of engineering leaders, like, look, we spent a decade, 15 years coding, right? And so you actually don't have a lot of view of actually what the business pressure is. I mean, you might know like at a surface level, but they don't connect in. And so you have both parties not understanding each other. So like in some ways, somebody has to empathize with somebody, right? Is the root of it. And someone has to translate across the boundary. Someone has to speak in the other person's language. Ideally, both can do it. But but I think that's the challenge. Today, we're talking about engineering. I, I think for good or bad, like, yes, I hope in a world in the future where, where more CEOs come from engineering backgrounds. So we actually, like, everyone comes up with more of a technical training. So, like, it's not as divorced. Like, I think we're seeing some of that now, too. If you look at the curriculum of schools, everyone's doing some level of actually software engineering along the pathway. The reality is, I think the industry is oriented. The expectation is the, the leader of the function is supposed to be the person that bridges to the business. I actually think this is fundamentally the transition that happens from, hey, you're managing the code and the, the function to all of a sudden like, no, no, you're now a leader and executive, which is you have to represent that function to the business. In some ways, it's the job 
of the head of engineering to connect it to the business, right? That, that's what it means to be the leader of the executive at a certain scale. I don't mean to minimize it, but a professional translator. And I, I think that is what I think people forget the job is, right? They don't realize at scale that is the job. Because when you're leading 10 people, it might actually be like, oh, you're playing part-time architect, part-time QA person, part-time SQL, you know, admin, right? And then all of a sudden it's like whammy, like you push up and you're 50 or 100 engineers, like your job ain't any of those things anymore. Your job is, this is cheesy, but it's to be an executive. It's to actually, which doesn't mean you're like flying on planes and, and business class. It actually means your job is a professional translator, right? And making sure the business goals are met in the language of engineering. For good or bad, the onus goes to the function head to actually do that. And that's what the the way the world's crafted in this way. Eli, you're, you've been nodding your head a lot. Do you have anything to add? I mostly am agreeing with what Andrew said. And I think that there is a, a long tradition in tech companies of CEOs often coming from a background in sales or finance. They probably went to business school. And maybe they learned some tech stuff on the side. But if they did, it's probably enough to be dangerous where they think they understand it, but they have never really done it. Certainly not at scale or in a group thing. And so I think that is... I think that leads to this dynamic where it is not typical that a CEO is going to, I think there's a lot of failure modes that can happen where if you have engineering leader or leaders who are very inward looking and technologically oriented and expecting a CEO or someone above to do a level of translation of that stuff, I think you wind up with all sorts of badness. That's great. Well, I think it's time for us to help people <laughs> learn how to, to become that translator. And so just to recap what this will look like, we're going to bring up a common question that a CEO might ask. We'll debrief maybe some of the underlying things going on there, and then we'll talk about what somebody can do to better bridge that gap and translate. The first one, I guess, how we can do this is I can, I guess, ham it up a little bit and, and be the, the, that CEO, and then would love to have you to sort of deconstruct it a little bit. The first question to bring up, get me a list of what every engineer is working on. What's going on here? What do they mean when that question comes up? You want to play? You want to go <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll start. Let me start with how I hear that question. <laughs> yes, please. I hear that question and my knee-jerk response is, oh my God, they don't trust me. They don't trust the team. And they're assuming that, that I have a bunch of bozos over here and people are working on, either they're working on stuff and they're ineffective or they're working on irrelevant wrong stuff. And so that, that absolutely gets my puts me on my defensive mode of, of what we're doing. I think that the real answer, though, is that they don't actually want a roster of, if I went off and in a good doobie come back with a spreadsheet and chose dozens of people and I'm this person's working on that and this person's working on the other, it actually just exposes more surface area because like none of those things are going to mean anything to the CEO anyway. So I'm going to be like, well, what is that? What is this? You said Alice is working on that thing. What the hell is that thing? Why are we doing that? Like, it just, it's a cascading set of bad conversations. So... I would try hard to head that thing off at the pass and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, what? Help me understand. What are you trying to do with this information? How can I help you get what you actually want? Because I don't think it's a list of tasks you haven't heard of that the junior person is working on over there. Okay, so I'm going to agree with Eli. Like, when you hear that, there's a game of distrust already happening here. Or at least dissatisfaction, right? And, and dissatisfaction could be, why is this thing else coming out faster? Like, I thought this was good done. Or this thing didn't come out good. Or... My favorite person isn't working on this thing. And I've actually, I've had that happen to me. Someone actually gave me that thing. And I think, Eli, you're right. There, there's some outcome that's not happening correctly. The supposition in this said person's head is that something's wrong with the work assignment pattern slash people are working on the wrong stuff. It's the wrong matching of people to work or they're, they're, they're doing some stuff that's wasting time. There's all of that stuff going on. The only thing I was just to debate with Eli at that point is if someone's asking you that, if I'm asking you that, 
it's too late. Doing the whoa, 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 what are you trying to do is not going to go super well, right? Like you're already there. You're like in the weed. Send them the spreadsheet, right? Send her the spreadsheet when she asks for it. You, you've already kind of lost the battle prior to that because some other outcome was was not satisfied at that point. Right? The best you can do is try to use the act of sharing it and their critique on the specific things to try to suss out what they're discontent with. So pull the spreadsheet together, send them the thing. It's just like, they asked for it. Like, what are you going to do? Say no, right? Send them the thing. And then, and then they're going to be like, well, why isn't Doug working on blah? Or why isn't Sandy on like this thing? Or why is this thing that like, and that part of the dialogue, when they start trying to move the squares around in the spreadsheet is where you'll be able to suss out what is it that they're actually trying to do, right? In the whole thing. But at the, I mean, for that small battle in the war is already lost in that one. And I, th I think the question is, well, how do you play it better for the future? How do you avoid that situation? How do you kind of reconcile it? And, and, and I think to me, that means that look, the distrust was there. So that means we didn't know like what the real issue we're trying to solve for. We were trying to get something done by a date that didn't get done. We we're trying to get like something... We missed the thing that was supposed to happen that didn't happen, right? And then once that failure happened, which we didn't acknowledge the failure happened, then it was like a distrust of the system. So like, mm -hmm. I, I think that means that like, one, we, we needed to find out what the thing was so we can get ahead of it to make sure that we're all on point around what we're trying to do. If it's untenable, then let's hash the untenable first, right? And then the other part is we probably need to, if the answer is they disagree with the assignment mechanism, like deep down philosophical, do we hate the process? Do we hate your org structure? All of those things. It's probably mean we need to sell that, explain that, make the trade-off of that like months ago, right? And that thing. So it, it, it's like the understanding, like that part of it, like that this is mm -hmm. the manifestation of those things. It's a little bit, how do you kind of dig yourself back out of that slash? How do you not do that next time kind of thing? Eli, how do you get ahead of this in your relationship with Andrew? Because I know that you do have kind of the benefit of seeing some of these thing, conversations at play at sort of the scale of all the engineering organizations that you're supporting. How have you kind of applied this getting ahead with Andrew? Yeah, a lot of it is to make sure that we have clarity, that Andrew has clarity, and not just Andrew. Andrew is a stand-in for other people in the business too who mm -hmm. care about this, on how we're organizing ourselves, how people are working, how the choices are getting made, what the process for all this stuff is. So it's if you have a beef with the priority of paying attention to something, the right answer is not, hey, give me a list of all the people and I expect I can work it around. It's like, oh, I know how to engage in that process of getting something on the radar and getting it prioritized. Or I know that there's these three things that we're investing in and we're lined up to make a lot of progress on those and in favor of other things. And if I disagree with that, there's a way of engaging. So for me, it's about that. Getting clarity on org structure and process and delivery mechanics and how the work is allocated and decisions are made ahead of time. Let me jump in, Patrick, because I don't want to pretend we're all roses here. Like we, we work through our stuff and I, I would actually say like, Eli, just to put on a point, this is actually germane to us right now. Like I, I think I've been, if I've been annoying in the last couple of weeks, it's been like, Hey, I really need you to explain the org to the org, right? Like I see a preview of this happening where like, We've been growing really fast. Eli's adding teams, which is awesome, but it's there's all new vernacular and there's all reorganizing of the team. And I'm already noticing how Eli's already shifted vernacular around this stuff, around who does what and why. And, and I'm already lost touch with, well, who do I go to about this? And why isn't this happening over here? And it's happening over there. I've been nagging on you, Eli, to explain that stuff because um, not just to be a pain in the butt about it, because I already smell a predecessor to this conflict happening 
if we're not careful, because I don't think all of us understand how the new team is organized and what we should be looking for across who's doing what. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And at the phase of growth that we're in, there's no reason why you would, because the world is different from how it was a month ago or six weeks ago, and it'll be different still in two months later. We're hiring people into new roles that we've never had before. There's lots of stuff changing structurally about how we work. And so, yeah, I think trying to stay ahead of that, and to your point, Andrew, like if the job is not done, I don't mean to declare victory on everyone definitely understands how I'm doing it and none of this stuff is an issue. This is a perfect transition to uh, CEO translator question number two that I wanted to bring up, which relates to sort of hiring and growth and, and org structure a little bit. Uh, so question number two, how's hiring going? When's that new team coming online? Why is headcount not growing? Or in this case, why is the organization structured this way or some version of that question? So I guess, Eli, like when you hear that question, I guess, what's your initial reaction to that? Andrew, what's underlying? What, the, what actually is the intent behind that question? I'll say that one to me is less fraught because it's less coded. If I am behind on hiring, if I said I was going to have a team and there's not a team, that's, that's pretty black and white. And I do think engineering is often one of the bigger and more expensive functions, the budgeting around it and the planning the people and stuff is a pretty important part of the business. And so if you're not making a plan or you're not doing the plan that you made or something, it's kind of as an obvious place for problems. But to me, from a translation standpoint, I'll just say that that one is a little bit more of a, if the question is, why isn't that team there? That's kind of is the question is, why isn't that team there? Well, let me unpack on my side on that. Patrick, we're going through these questions because this is probably, let's assume a CEO that's not like trying hard to be thoughtful about it. I would argue that could mean a couple of things. It could mean that I'll play the CEO for a second. Hey, I fought hard to create this budget. Like, why the F isn't it hired yet? That's the literal interpretation of that. The other possibility, though, is it could be a coded thing, which is I still want something done and it's not done. So you may have convinced me that the team is tapped out. Good job, right? Like, I've bought into your system. Thus, the, the only way that I can get more is to hire more people. And so my question of that stuff could be one of actually a indirect way of complaining that my feature or the thing I want done is not done. And I've somehow internalized that I can't get it till you get the hiring done. So we've, congratulations, you convinced me that that logical step has to happen. The, the downside is now I'm applying pressure to this new logical step. Patrick, I'll, I'll say this for all of us. Headcounts are complicated, right? Like when you clear budget for this stuff, you get it done as fast as possible because we never know, we never know how the world shakes. And all of a sudden, you don't have those headcounts anymore on those things. So get them done while you can is part of it. But I think there is sometimes that other thing, which is like you, you know, said, like, hey, we're going to build this new you know, adapter version of this thing. When we get this team, someone might have fully got that in their head. I can't do that thing till I get that team. And so now I'm going to sit on you to actually get that team done. When actuality, the, the real answer is I want that thing done, right? Like it could be that too. So this one's curious because how do you get ahead of this then? Or how would you address this? Hire as fast as you damn well can right? <laughs> when you get the, the headcount to do it. Uh, Man, if only it were that easy. I have thousands of people in the back of my head saying, it is so hard to hire right now. Like, how do you yeah, do this? I, I know what Eli thinks is an innate, but let's, I joked earlier that the head of engineering is actually about translating. Well, maybe the other job, the co-job, or maybe the higher part of the job is you're in charge of hiring, period. That's all you do, right? Like that's 75, 90% of your time is just hiring. And, and I think people that don't realize that they're in trouble, right? Especially in this, this day and age, to your point, Patrick, around how hard it is to hire on that part. But they don't think that's their job and they ain't getting it done, right? Yeah, that's, that's what I'll say is hiring is hard in that it takes concerted 
effort and attention and it takes a lot, it takes work and it takes time and it takes energy. It's not hard in the sense of if you apply lots of energy and it isn't happening, I claim there's a problem. Like it's not that hard that it's literally impossible mm -hmm. to find people. Patrick, you asked earlier around Eli and I's history in this, and I actually think this is one area that we really derive value from actually having worked together in the past, which is, I think we take it as innate that it's important to do this, right? I trust and I find a shared sensibility with Eli about this one, which is like, hiring is all consuming when you're at it. And I think he and I had been in the trenches together over a decade ago, that when it's go time on hiring, you you are all in on hiring. I take it as a given that Eli gets me on that part of it. And I think he acts that way. That's a benefit I think we get from history. So in this question about hiring, Andrew, what does the CEO need to know to like get past the immediate question? I think this is a good reminder around, it's not just like it's getting done, I'm working on it, show your work. This actually applies how to get ahead of it and actually showing your work on this stuff, which is, it depends on the company. Sometimes this falls under, you know, talent or, or HR or all these things, but like people side, but either way, don't just say I'm working on it. It's just, hey, how many people are actually happening here? How many candidates do you have in the funnel? Like, what are we actually like? What's the forecast of getting these things done? How much time is being consumed by interviewing? Like, th there's a bunch of stats that could substantiate that this is actually happening and you're tracking towards doing it, right? So this is around like how many candidates are late stage? Like how many are in the funnel? Where's your time actually going on this stuff? How many interviews are going on? In some ways, Hiring is like a sales funnel on that stuff, and you can actually show it and forecast it. And I think we, you know, what's the pipeline look like analogously? But I think that's one where I don't think it's sufficient to say it's, it's done or I'm working on it. You actually have to show your work on this stuff because, and it, parties, if you really are doing it, it's not, it shouldn't be hard to pull that together. You are, right? I was going to say earlier to, to your question around, or back to my earlier comment around what else like, could this mean? It could also mean that like the said CEO or the business is really waiting for a feature. I still stand by job of this translator is to actually get out there and understand what is the business waiting for. So like to get ahead of it, don't let it be in this weird dependency graph of, okay, they're asking about hiring. So it means that we need to actually get the adapter for blah, blah, blah on this stuff. You should know that the rest of the company is sitting on pins and needles waiting for X and Y to be done. And they're, they're getting rip shit about like why that isn't done, right? That's part of the job is to suss out. Like, yeah. What are we actually waiting on here in that stuff? I, this just the sitting on pins and needles imagery is very vivid. I just wanted to add the, I think if you're ever in a situation to that point where you've set expectations that this new team, it's the creation of a new team or new people are the answer to getting the, the time sensitive thing done, you're setting yourself up for heartache because hiring people is hard. The time sensitivity is hard and there's always ramp time and a J curve of negative productivity when people start because you got, they got to learn everything first. And so while I think it can be easy to... Whoever did that just kicked the can down the road. They may have actually made the can like scarier on the other side of this thing, right? Like, Yeah, the... right. I, I loved the show your work metaphor. It reminds me of like doing geometry proofs like in, in high school math class. And like most of the score, like the points on your test come from the actual showing of the work than actually getting the right answer. Eli, so please from now on when you we do our meetings, just end it with a QED. Like that would be like... <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's great. And I also think about the imagery of the sitting on pins and needles, like the business, like waiting desperately for something to finish, having working with our engineering team, like usually there'll be a new feature or something that we're working on, like some of the emails and marketing things that we we're going to send out to our community couldn't go out or go in development until that feature was finished. And so I have sat on this chair desperately at the screen waiting for when See, Patrick, you're that guy. So you should actually <laughs> like start, you should practice some of these questions and like fire them across the transom there. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. All right. 
Next question. So this is uh, a little bit more in the style of, of work and invisibility into engineering work. What's Sandy working on? She's a 10Xer. She can't be wasted. Can't she just do this thing over the weekend? What comes up for you, Eli? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, again, it's a, by the time you're getting that question, like, that's not the thing that somebody, I mean, that's the thing that they think they're asking for is couldn't Sandy do that thing over the weekend? But by the time you're getting to the point where someone is coming in and asking you to micro rearrange who's doing what on the day-to-day basis, there's something going wrong already. So figuring out what it is, a lot of it to me is, is there a perception that you've got wildly different capabilities that there's... Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. Somebody, Sandy, is the star who can get anything done, whereas this other person on the team or other people on the team are schmoes who aren't reliable or aren't getting good stuff done. Like, hey, hopefully that's not actually true. If it is, if that's actually true, that's one set of problems. If it's not actually true, there's a perception problem about why does somebody think that's true. But then I do think that the root of all of it is probably that it comes down to, as Andrew was saying before, there's something that's not getting done that this person wished would get done. Or, or possibly everything is not getting done fast enough. Everything is slow. Everything is, you know, this person has a mindset of the tiger team who just goes real quick and bangs stuff out, just get shit done in whatever way. And that isn't the mechanics. And maybe for good reason, that's not the mechanics. Because like, no, we're not trying to just bang out a thing. We're trying to build something that we're going to put in front of lots and lots of customers and it needs to be robust. And, we, and that, that takes time. So to me, it's all about, there's a direct answer to what's Sandy working on. But I think then there's a, unpacking of let's talk about again how people like what it takes to bring a village together to actually get this thing out the door and why having one person go hero it as tempting as that may be today is not the answer that's going to allow us to in a sustainable way do all the stuff that we need to do over the next days weeks months years patrick i was gonna say i am like i'm agreeing with eli and and i would just say like this particular one like i've been first class victim to this question like when i was on the other side of this like the uh Said person was not named Sandy. We won't name the name. Like, I think this shows up, like, just more side commentaries. Like, this generally shows up more with actually founder CEOs, like, in the sense where they, like, hearken back to a time when they actually knew all the engineers and they know said Sandy. And that Sandy was the hero that did a lot of things here on this stuff. And so, in some ways, this is the danger. Sometimes you have you have CEOs that think they know how engineering works, right? And so, in this, like, the, this kind of situation, like, whether you know, the 10X scenario, pick whatever flavor or thing you want. But, like, this said CEO thinks they know what a 10X is. They read about it. A friend told them about it. This is, like, a big thing, right? And so, they're really, like, fixated on that particular thing. And so, they've fundamentally believe that the way forward is like all things are about sandy and that stuff and it's just like deep down ingrained in their thing and back to the whole thing you're right there's something they want that isn't getting done and so this is their magic solution which is calling back to four years ago this is what we did it was all about sandy and that stuff and and, and it's not just romanticizing they're trying to problem solve and again this goes back to your job to figure out what the problem was to begin with which is we're not getting this thing done or it's getting done the wrong way or whatever the actual thing is and so they're kind of fixated on this this thing and 
the 10x part is the rhetoric that goes around it. And, and be clear, like I've worked with people that are clearly 10xers that are much more prolific than others. And, and, and there's many reasons why it could be skill set. It could be just nature of history of the code base. There's all these reasons why in those things. I, I think the particular on this one around 10xing, though, is I think, again, it goes back to some form of distrust, something actually not actually happening. But like, I'll just speak for things at scale. One might have an amazing developer. We, we all have worked with amazing developers before. Maybe you're lucky to be one in the past, but like at some point, as your business grows, it will go beyond that person's skill. No matter what you do, like even if they're like the biggest here, at some point, I don't, I don't care if it's like they're better than ten people, they're better than people, like, but some point you will cross that threshold where you have to rely on more than one hero. It just has to be. And I don't, I'm not going to pick the threshold for any individual company because I don't know them. But there will be some point where that's the case. And so then it's about the team and the process and, and like how we actually can go beyond that. Because if you're stuck behind one person, then your company will only scale as far as that person can go. And, and they are human no matter how prolific they are. And you will hit some wall at some point. And so, again, in this moment, I'm actually, because I've been on the other side, of this, I'm playing a little bit of the engineering side of this thing, which is like, I actually think that part of the job is to get the business to realize that conclusion, to get the romanticism out of that this individual's head, or it's never going to get past this, right, to be blunt. But systems do matter. Teams do matter at a certain scale. That's the reason why things need to be spread across multiple people. And that's why we need to actually get around the corner on these things. Like that, that's part of the systems discussion or the patterns part of it. Now, I'm going to take a quick moment and actually flip and be, you know, flip the other way and actually be the CEO for a quick second around what sometimes is lost. Sometimes there is this really like company linchpin thing that has to happen. It is a thing that is, it is non-linear. It's get this customer over this thing that we will literally close this account. Revenue goes up. We will get that funding around. Like all this stuff is linchpinned on this thing. And it is disjoint. It is not a thing that is the same as every other feature that there is something here that like people aren't realizing if we lose this account we don't get this thing shipped by this day we lose all kinds of things or we can't do this thing and so i think sometimes the businesses actually aren't the best at also expressing those situations either and so like it's possible that then maybe in this one time even though we have 100 people that sandy really doesn't need to do this because she is the only person on this thing we don't like while it would be great if douglas and the rest of the team learned how to do this and then make them productive in six months Maybe that there's like really one-time thing that has to happen here. We need to get Sandy on it because it needs to happen. It is so important. And, and the, the engineering leader doesn't actually, Eli, Eli, you didn't get this. You just, somehow, like you missed it. I didn't say it right. You didn't hear me. This is like above and beyond more important than any system sustainability answer on this stuff. This is existential. We have to do this, right? That could be another nature of the conflict where there's a severity thing. The business just did not... It was not heard, right, the severity of this thing. And so, like, sustainably be damned, we need to have to do this one thing. Now, like, I'm going to flip one last time. Every once in a while, there's CEOs that thinks every freaking thing is that one thing. Well, then it's not a one thing then, right? So that's the unpack in this stuff, which is, again, goes back to sussing out what is the thing we're trying to do and why is it, like, so important that we're going to throw out all other things for and really sussing that part of it out. Yeah. And so from a CEO whispering point of view, for me, that's exactly when it's the conversation to have here is why Sandy on this thing? 
what are we trying to do? And, you know, if the goal is what is the fastest way with highest confidence that we're going to get this thing done the very fastest, let's just do that, however unsustainable or unscalable that thing is to do, but we just need to do it. That absolutely does happen. But let's just make sure we're addressing it in those terms, because it may be that having Sandy go do that is the right, best, most high confidence way to do it. But it might actually not be. It might be that the 37th employee who the CEO doesn't know is actually the one who's best positioned to go bang that thing out real quick. And only by having the conversation of what are we trying to do, can we do that? And then ditto, like I certainly, and I'm sure you have too in your time, Andrew, been part of the other side of that conversation where everything is existential and life-threatening. And the minute you get through the one, if we don't do this, we weren't going to live to have the next one. But it's also very hard to work in that environment where every single thing is always a sprint. You can do that for a little while and then just everybody runs out of gas. So you need to figure out how to get out of that mode if, if that's the mode that you're a micro tip, like you just did a thing where you said, hey, CEO, like, why is this important? And I'll just say it from the other side of the fence. Like that is a stereotypical engineering response, which is challenging the person to re-express the problem. And I would say a lot of business people get frustrated by that demeanor. So another way to tackle that and answer that in the same moment, Eli, is to go the other way and be like, okay, we're going to move Sandy on this thing. Let me get back to you around how it's going to work. Okay. If you really think so. So like we're going to move Sandy across here, but I just want to gut check with you that this means that we're going to, you know, not deliver X and, uh, you know, Z is definitely just off the rails, right? Um, so it seems a little crazy to me that you actually want to get Sandy on this thing so that we can do this other thing. But, you know, like this is what you want, right? And so in that like that actually is another way to answer or pose the question that will actually cause reassessment. On that one, which actually doesn't fall into that engineer repose the question for me in a more thing that will accomplish the same thing, right? On that part of it. Posing a question that causes reassessment. I, I like that intervention as a way. Because I think, in the, I guess the intent of this whole conversation is what type of ownership can the the person who's leading engineering do to take ownership over bridging this gap. And so like in this case, just reposing the, that challenge is interesting. Eli, I wanted to ask you one more follow-up question about this. Like, how do you uncover if something is actually existential in that environment? Like in this context, like how can you communicate ahead of time or solve that? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, that is the CEO's job is to know that and do that. So to some degree, if I think as an engineering leader, if you get in the habit too much of being like, hey, CEO, prove to me that thing is really existential every time, like to Andrew's point, you're going to rapidly lose any patience of anybody's ability to work with you on this stuff. So I don't think it's that, but I do think that building as much situational awareness and sensibility about what the actual strategy is and what's going on, so that your intuition, my intuition of what actually seems important and existential lines up as best as possible. That's really what it is, to minimize the number of times where there's something coming on where I just completely missed the missed the nuance or understood what this was about or was treating it as a minor thing when it's a big thing. Mm -hmm. But that's definitely an advanced work thing, not like an in-the-moment thing. No, no, there's actually, there's a good thread here to pull on, which is I actually think, to do it right, I actually think you should be, I'm picking on concept of you, should be asking and seeking and learning about the business implications for the next year. Right. Like to really understand on a regular basis, like, What's going to take to get this funding round? Like, what are we being measured on? What are the things that, like, to really, like, actually, this is where I think all of us from the engineering training actually are, are limited because we we don't, we aren't curious enough on the business, frankly, or we don't feel like we should be, or we don't take the time to learn about it. And I actually think that you're right in, in the sense that it probably is the CEO's job to do this, but you can actually grease the skids by getting ahead of it 
right? Like you can understand like, hey, what are the things we're being measured on? What are the next funding round? Like what are the things that are changing in the market? What are we looking for? What do we need to get done? What's it take to get the next quarter sold? What deals are actually happening? What are they waiting on? Like pulling on the business side of things so you can actually preview where the linkages are. So you can actually intuit those things as opposed to waiting for them to actually happen. There's another move to actually help here. And, and frankly, it's gonna make a better team, right? Because if both parties are actually, like, if you're pulling on that side of it, you'll understand more on that stuff. And the execution will be better because the more that the engineering team and leaders on the team and other people have those contexts, that contextual awareness and sensibility about things too, is just better micro decisions are gonna be made along the way. Two bonus micro tips as we unpacked that question. That's fantastic. CEO translator question number four. Have we tried that other process that I read about recently? I'm really curious to hear like the insert the process part from either of you here. So to pose it again, have we tried that other process that I read about recently? I'm imagining it's like Scrum, Agile, OKRs, like all different flavors. Hey, of Eli, are we doing that Spotify like uh, tribes thing? Yeah. Because I heard that's great. Guilds, guilds and tribes, that's what I heard, right? That's right. That's the classic one. Yeah. Have we done the scrums? Are we doing scrums? Anything? Yeah. No, and, and so the trap on this one is, which is, I mean, obviously either yes or no is the, <laughs> the literal answer. But even the way most of these processes work, the like, are we doing scrum? It's like, well, we're doing a thing. It's not literal by the book scrum in all these ways. So like, what do you mean by scrum? How I? But that's just an absolute rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> Because someone's asking, are we doing Scrum? Like, really, probably what they mean is, hey, we had a process that worked great at my last company, and it seemed like stuff was getting shipped out more reliably, or I knew what the teams were doing, or I understood when I was going to get stuff because there were sprint boundaries, and we don't seem to have that, and what's up? And that's actually what somebody wants to know, not like delving into the nerdery of, let's debate our, our favorite agile talking head pundit and whether this process is better than that process or not. <laughs> I love that. Andrew, what's your reaction? I mean, I, I go back to either way, it means the same thing, which is there's probably some dissatisfaction or, or, or like non-fulfillment happening here. So it's such that people pose this question. I mean, it's possible it's like a dinner party conversation or a random blog article that they read. But again, in order for them to latch, it means that they wish something were better or different. So the root thing here is to suss out what are we trying to actually get out of here on this thing? Again, it almost always comes down to it's going too slow. I want X and Y. <laughs> Like everything comes down to slow or perception of slow, or I want more stuff happening, or why isn't this thing done at the root of it? And, and so I, I think process switches are about looking, seeking for some romantic silver bullet that isn't, probably isn't a silver bullet. I read the meta is doing this, it's gotta be great, right? Like pick your cool, cool person. I, Stripe has to be doing this, so it's gotta be perfect. It, it has some of those kinds of things going on there. And, and so again, it goes back to sussing out, like what is it they were doing? I will say, though, the one tip around all of this stuff that I think that people aren't often great at is whether you're choosing processes or choosing team assignments or choosing sequencing of projects or all of these things. I actually think that there are ways to try to get everybody to feel confident in your decisions in these things. And I think sometimes people miss this. Like I, I was working with someone once and and, and, and they were like, ah, oh, CEO really wants it this way, hates my way of doing this stuff. And I was like, yeah, he probably doesn't actually hate your way. But like in that situation, it was a simple trick, which was, or a simple clear pathway in this, which is bring three solutions to the table. <laughs> like it's a little bit to my whole like solution earlier around, I don't think you want to move Sandy over on this thing, right? 
it's actually like bring three scenarios. We're gonna do it by Scrum, or I mean, that's an extreme case, but like, we're gonna do it this way, we're gonna do it that way, and we're gonna do it like you know, X, Y, Z. You and I already know that Y is the best answer, but like more than likely, if you surface this discussion to said curious person, or like, they're also gonna be like, well, what do you think? And you're gonna say like, why? Because like, they're like, okay, it makes sense. And so the act of doing that, like giving them the perceived agency to actually help you choose this stuff, you actually showed your work to say that you were being diligent. And you weren't just choosing an arbitrary one. You were showing plus minus in each of these things and you were thoughtful about it. And you invited them to take part in the conversation decision on that stuff, right? And, and so I think those are often ways that I think you can bring people along on your decisions, whether it's process, people assignment, or all of these things. And, and then look, like a month later, they're not going to care, right? But I think that is a showing your work inspires confidence in this thing and inviting them to decision-making shows openness and partnership in this part of it. And, and once they have the trust in you, like that's how you build trust, then things actually end up happening fine. You just get less of this. So this is more kind of a more macro way of actually bringing people along. And I think sometimes, I think a lot of folks with an engineering background just like to bring the solution. I've solved the puzzle, right? Like, well, you know, it's, it's more actually bringing people along than it is solving the puzzle. Even if you know the right answer, it's like letting them come to the conclusion. Eli, do you do any examples or stories come to mind from you having to navigate this? Because I think what, what you shared, Andrew, is such a powerful way to to make somebody feel like a partner in the decision in an area where they maybe have less understanding of how it works is such a powerful thing to do. So that framework that you shared, I think, is is amazing. Eli, when you're looking at your perspective, navigating some of these, like, have we tried this new thing? One, how do you how do you separate the should we or should we not change the process? and separate uncovering what is it that they're actually looking for and then addressing that need first. Well, it goes back to like this obviously works the best if you have a kind of relationship and trust already where, you know, it's easy to go like, oh, hey, interesting. Let's talk about the problem that we're solving, you know, where you can be direct about like, well, actually, the reason why I'm talking about doing that is it sounds like that process is getting lots of stuff over the line really quickly and feels like we're stuck in molasses and like knowing that that's what the concern is, I think is is the starting point. When it comes to process changes, the thing that I've found is most CEOs I've worked with are one to Andrew's point, <laughs> give multiple options, and two is like be experimental, be data driven, be iterative. Like we're gonna try X. Here's the experiment. We're gonna set it up to do blah blah blah, and this is what we're gonna measure, and we're gonna see if that goes faster. And if we're gonna do that, we're gonna double down on it. And if it doesn't work, then we won't. Like that's a thing that few people will push back on or, or tell you that's a that's a dumb idea. Whereas if you're just like, no, I'm doing this because I dogmatically believe the way to do it is X and I'm not I'm not interested in measuring or evaluating or baking it off against another thing or something, I think that's where you run into trouble. We have three options for the next question. I think we probably have time to dive into one. When are we going to build that like that special feature? When Why can't we get this feature out? I mean, the question you just asked there, Patrick, <laughs> is probably like the polite version of actually this, because when are we going to build it, Eli? It's more generally, where the F is blah, I thought it was already done. It's not when are we going to build it. You're right. This is this thing we're trying to suss out here, that someone cares about some feature on this thing. I, I just think the way you framed it, Patrick, was the polite version of, when are we going to start it on that thing, right? Like, it's it was actually like, no, I want that thing. I want that thing yesterday. So either way, we're trying to suss that thing out. I think in a dimension we could pull on this, though, is two things to think about. One, this is a little bit around projecting roadmap and like when are things actually coming along in this stuff. I actually think it's also there's stuff around here around providing transparency around like how long it takes to get things done and what's the sequence on that part of it. So I'm cheating here. I'm jumping in here right on this part of it. But I think like the question is like, why isn't this done or when are we going to start that? They're all permutations of I want something and very low understanding of how long is it going to take 
what's the pathway on there? How do I know it's actually making progress on those things? And Eli knows I harp on this all day long. It's like literally like, it's, don't just say we're working on blah. Tell me if 30% of the way through, 60% of the way through, when are we going to get to it? It's not that we're going to get to it. It's that we're going to get to it in like a month, get it in two. Like, I don't want to like pick on Eli on this one, but like, I think engineering teams and engineering leaders traditionally struggle with it. Like, I can't tell you if it's 30% or 35% or because we don't know. We actually don't know. This thing could blossom into like, you know, it could be six weeks. It could be two days. It could be like, it could be 20%. It could be like 77%. I don't know. Right. And so I actually think this is a, this is an ism that actually is, is busted with the engineering mentality, which is where we're so fixated on a perfection of the answers. That's not what the business is asking for. If the head of sales is going to guess, it's going to be zero or 100%. So you can do better than that. You know, even if you're going to be wrong, you can do better. So just tell me we're 20%. Tell me we're two of five on the way there and then try to like... So I, th so I think the scar tissue that a lot of engineering leaders have on this one, though, is being held to, you said this was going to be done on April 17th. Yeah. You're, you're what the hell? You're, you're F'd either way, though, right? Because if you don't <laughs> say this thing, I'm going to make up a thing and not even tell you about it, right? Right. Right. Yeah. So, like, you're better actually controlling your destiny at the risk of your scar tissue. It just is. Because, like, thematically, you know my take on this. If you don't drive the agenda, it will be done for you, period. That is a big yeah. old Andrew, like, role part of this. Like, if you don't tell the story and you don't actually drive the narrative on this thing, someone else in some finance, business, sales thing will make up the story for you and you'll be held to a thing you don't even know you're held to. It's better for everyone if you at least can actually grab the bull by the horns and try to actually negotiate the complexities of that statement. Agreed with you, Eli, that yeah, April 17th, yeah. I want that done. No, and with all that said, I actually think the real solution to this, and again, these conversations come up sometimes no matter what, but the ideal solution to this is that if you can get in a rhythm where there are predictable units of stuff coming quickly, through the shoot. If Andrew is being impressed by, oh yeah, there's lots of new stuff popping out all the time. And it seems like whenever we want a thing, new things show up. These kinds of questions are much less likely to arise than if they are in a world where it's like, we're winding up and taking a giant swing at something over weeks and months. And then like, maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. And now we're back to square zero. That environment is the one where these questions wind up being much more heavy. For what it's worth, I liked your middle statement around sending out more stuff on a regular basis better than I did around building a system that builds units of work. Like in the sense that I know you meant the same thing, but like there's a trap there around the Unix work statement that I think is a dangerous trap. Because if you sound clipped and misinterpreted what you just said there, it'd be like, great, I've been an agile machine. I build 16 story points every week, like victorious. We've now actually done this. And I actually think that is a complete failing on this thing. Because I actually think that Agile is like really important for the team. It actually is, I think we like continuous reassessment is great, but it is not sufficient for working with businesses in this way. You've seen this. We're like, declare victory. We have a story point machine. We do this many stories every like, you know, whatever. I promise you the business is not satisfied with that because those aren't in business like units that they actually get. Like, who cares a 16 story point? Right. Like that. It doesn't help me sell more. It doesn't help me renew better. It doesn't help me get the fundraising done. Yeah, that's where unpacking that, what are the units coming down the assembly line? If it's random units of parts that may or may not fit together in any useful way or accomplish anything, that's of no use to anybody. If the units are things that actually deliver value and do something useful for the business and have outcomes that matter, getting those reliably and regularly is what, is what I'm talking about here. Yeah. 
And, and I think this is the act of sussing them out. What are those units? What is the granularity and how to do this? And by the way, the product team is your friend on this, right? That's their job on this. But but also that to know when there are macro things that are like, as much as we don't love them, that are big and hunky and need to be delivered by a certain date. There's plenty of things that we do in the world that require lots of planning, like marketing launches, partnered like things, customers waiting on things that are those we don't love them are discrete and large that actually have to be hit with a conclusion and, and are ill tolerant of the subjectivity of, yeah, there's bits coming through, right? Thing it actually has to be done in that way. And I think part of this is suss out which one of these things that we're sitting on these things. Like, is the question, hey, when is blah coming out? Just an impatience of, I just want more stuff. Or is blah like really linchpin? Right. Because it could be both. And some of this gets to, in this relationship, building the vocabulary around these things so that you can disambiguate which of those you mean and know maybe normally you're optimizing for throughput of lots of stuff, but then sometimes you need to like, no, 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 this particular one really needs to be at that particular place at a particular time, even if that means we're not maximally efficient in throughput for something. Just knowing which mode you're in and having the language to talk about which thing you're doing when, I think is... I'm going to throw one more lens of complexity in here because like, there's one more coded possibility in here that could be happening. It's a second order question, which is, is this engineering team going to help me in the future? In the sense that like, it's possible the said business is waiting for something that clearly is not a dependency on today, but it might be a dependency on a year from now or something like that. And the business, the CEO, the head of sales has now realized it's a big thing. They, they assume it's a big thing. And, and Eli, they're kind of testing you to see when you're going to start it to see, like, are we ever going to get there? They're actually, like, asking you about a feature and when you're going to start it or when it's going to be done or all these things, not because they actually need it for today. They're actually trying to ask themselves being like, is this a team that's going to get me there in a year? Because they keep deferring these things that I care about as we'll do it later, but later never comes. And I never see if they're actually ever starting it. So I want to see if they start it to actually prove my later comment or are they just, they're trying to suss out is the later promise ever realized? And they're worried actually about not today. They're not even worried about a customer sold tomorrow, but they're worried about a year from now. Am I going to have what I need then on that part of it? And so that's the other thing that's actually being sussed out here. The third possibility, I think, on that thing. One kind of final question to wrap this all up. If you had any like quick tactics on how to learn more about the language of the business or understand the priorities of the business, like is that recommending jumping into meetings and shadowing certain conversations? Is it staying up to date on Jellyfish's blogging content, which is something that I do? Like, what's the tactical way to learn more about the language of the business? This may sound squishy, but just spend more time both in the field and with the other business leaders on this stuff. What are they thinking about? Again, I'm going to fall into my own engineering stereotype. You're like waiting for questions to come to you. Like, I actually think you should be out there. You should be hanging out with, you know, having dinner with the, the sales team, like understanding what's actually happening, understand what they're stressed about, like sitting down with the finance team, sitting down with the actual CEO, like what are they working on? Right, because you're, you'll get a better pace of what they're thinking about, where their time's going, and, and that'll actually lead to a conclusion of understanding what it is they're waiting on, even if they aren't able to articulate it. I know that's a squishy answer, but like, um, and then yeah, there's the explicit part of just asking, what are our business goals for the year, kind of stuff like that. I think historically we undervalue the relationship side of things and how like a fusing actually happens when you spend time with people and you build the relationship, understand what they're stressed about, what they're working on. So you get a lot of subtext of learning in that way mm -hmm. and you build trust too i know that's a soft answer but we're in the queuing up of tips i'll throw that as a tip have more dinner have more drinks with people expanding on that i think one concept that i've found 
important in this area is the first team idea. But just that as an engineering leader who's come up through engineering, it's really easy to think of yourself as an engineer and hang out with the engineers and identify as an engineer and the business is the business. And I don't really know those people super well. And I think that just as a leader, that's a terrible mistake. And needing to think about yourself as an engineer second or third, but as a peer group of leaders cross-functionally doing lots of things first. Yeah, it is a mindset shift that has not always been easy for me. I think a lot of people it's not always easy for, but I think it's important and it plays into the thing that Andrew's describing too. Because it naturally flows into that these are the people you're spending a lot of time with and hanging out with and talking to and problem solving with and doing things. Well, then you just have a better understanding. Because, you know, there's, if you've got a team of dozens, you know, many engineers working on stuff, there's any number of people who can go in and whatever, figure out the architecture for that thing or fix the build system or diagnose that bug or what you, you like. That is not, that's not the thing for you as a leader to be spending your time. And even though those are things that like nerdily I enjoy doing and I have skills in doing them and I probably can, being intentional about spending your time in a different way is, I think. That's a great framing, Eli. I mean, I, I think I actually there is discrete role shift here that actually happens. And frankly, I can't declare if everybody's going to like the transition there, but somewhere along the way, Engineering leader is actually, your job is the business. <laughs> like we think early on, it's to build this thing, to make it great code or do this thing. Like, yeah, that, that's the lingua franca. But the real answer is you're trying to make the business successful. That's your job. That's what the leadership is, <laughs> like the business, right? It doesn't mean that we should do bad code. We should build bad things. Or, and like, we should make our team unhappy. That, that isn't the conclusion. But like all of this to exist, right, is to actually make the business grow and successful in whatever your business metric actually is. I think that's the shift that I think often people don't make, which is that's the job. And then thusly, your job is to liaise that to make sure that the, the, the engineering team can actually deliver accordingly to that part of it. But like in some ways, whatever it is, the head of sales or CEO is stressed about, that's what you should be stressed about too. Your team is just a tool to help solve those problems, right? And I don't mean to minimize the team, but I, but I think that's a reframing that I think, and by the way, like leaders may not like it when they come to the other conclusion. They're like, dude, I just like to build the code and the team, right? That's like, okay. There's nothing bad about it. I mean, people don't realize that job is not the job they thought it was sometimes in that transition. And it's not, and it can sneak up on you because there is a minute, especially in a growing company, there's a minute where as a leader, like you are the one who, who needs to be like in the thick of putting the technical fire out about how that thing happens. So it, it's something that you have to actively change. You both have been so generous with your time. The The final way to sign this thing off was I wanted to ask, you know, Eli, what's your favorite part about working with somebody like Andrew who understands the language of parties of engineering? And Andrew, what do you admire most about working with Eli who is able to, to bridge that gap between business and engineering? So can you close us off with your favorite part about working with each other, having that empathy cross-functionally? Eli is a tremendous partner. Eli makes this place a, a good place to work on his team, with him as a team, like all these things, like he makes this place a good place to work, like you enjoy it. And I think that's an in instinctive thing that he does. But a while ago, he actually explained it to me that helped me actually reconcile because look, whatever transition Eli or anybody's going through this stuff, I'm going through it too, frankly, right? Like I, you know, I'm an engineer, an engineer leader, and like stuff. I don't want to pretend I've got this all baked right in these things. Like he helped me reconcile some stuff a while ago. He said a simple thing. He's like, look, our job is to work, but we spend a lot of time at work. We spend a lot of energy on this stuff. We should make it as enjoyable as possible while we're at work. And that's a simple statement, but it like really helped me reconcile 
how we make choices around culture and decisions we make and all of these things that are subjective and soft and how to juxtapose them with the business. Like intrinsic for me, when I unpack that statement, it's yeah, our job is the business. That's what our job is. We're measured by that part of it. But it doesn't mean we don't care about the other stuff too. We have to make it as enjoyable as possible we're here. So I don't know if I ever said this to you, but that, that, that simple statement, Eli, actually helped me reconcile a ton of stuff and how to work through it. Because I used to, in my transition, I view them as sometimes divorced. And how do you put them back together? How do you make the trade-off around a cultural decision, a business decision? How do you reconcile it? And I think like that simple statement helped me reconcile it. So I still take that to heart. Thank you. Eli, any final thoughts? My turn, I'll say the thing that I enjoy the most about Andrew on, on this stuff is exactly this this kind of conversation where it's really unusual, I think, to find the mix of like Andrew, I think you're I think you're a strong CEO taking the company great places and like business execution is great. You also are like very thoughtful about both building the company culturally, et cetera, but also as a coach for me personally of my own growth and what this role means and finding that mix of those things together is I'm not used to that. Well, thank you both. I know you both have to run. This has been a phenomenal conversation. Here's a quick recap of our takeaways from our conversation with Andrew and Eli. Often tough or unexpected questions from the business stem from a couple desires. An outcome didn't go as expected. Something's not done yet. They really want done a desire for something to be faster, better, or different or there's some mistrust in the overall system. The job as a CEO translator or head of function is to understand what the business needs and uncover the root issue behind their question. So don't be afraid to ask, what are you trying to do with this information? How can I help you get what you actually want? To get ahead of some of the tough questions, educate, create clarity, and show the work of engineering ahead of time. Share the why behind org structure and how the work is allocated and decisions are made. Show the work behind hiring. Share the number of candidates in the funnel, the stages they're in, and time-consumed interviewing. Share how the system has evolved beyond individual heroics and that you need a clear understanding about what you're trying to achieve in order to appropriately direct engineering resources. When it comes to predicting roadmap delivery, if you don't drive the agenda and estimate timelines behind engineering work, someone else will. Even if your prediction is wrong, it will be better than what someone else will assign for you. Regularly seek to understand the business implications for the next year. What's it going to take to get to the next round of funding? What's the business being measured on? What are the changes in the market, the deals that are happening? What's it going to take to sell in the next quarter? And what are other folks in the business waiting on? To increase confidence and trust in your decisions, bring three solutions to the table. Share what you considered, and why you think a certain approach is the best. Inviting people into your decision-making shows openness, partnership, and generates more buy-in with the approach you end up with. So why is there a disconnect between business leaders and engineering? Because engineering is hard, but it doesn't seem like it should be from the outside. As the head of function, your job is to be a professional translator. So be the bridge and show your work. If you want to learn even more about how to translate engineering into the language of the business and how to better align engineering work with the company's goals, check out our friends at Jellyfish. Head to jellyfish.co forward slash ELC to learn more. You can find their link in the show notes. That's jellyfish.co forward slash ELC. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.